Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other. The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely sometimes, you know. Hey, Susan, don't do all that. There's another way to enjoy random conversations? Now, thanks to the podcast show, I can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week. No more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation. Tune in weekly on Wednesdays and subscribe for updates on your favorite platform to the Toddcast show and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Toddcast show. My name is Todd Mira, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The Toddcast show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers. We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the Toddcast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at ToddCastShow.com. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Toddcast Show. Today we're joined by Alan Carroll. How are you doing today, Alan? Todd, I'm wonderful. How are you? Doing great, man. And where are you calling from? I'm calling from a little town called Ashburn, Virginia, about 30 miles outside of Washington, D.C. Wow. Ashburn, Virginia. That sounds nice. I was born in Newport News. Where is it relative to that? Oh, I must be. I'm 20 minutes from Dulles Airport on the way to Leesburg. Yeah, totally different place. That's cool. Very, very cool. And were you born in the area or did you relocate to end up in that area? Uh, you know, you move around quite a bit. I'm in my early <laughs> 70s, so I've been traveling and moving around. And born, though, in New York City. So I'm, oh, wow. I'm, really? I'm a New Yorker. No kidding. Very cool, man. Yeah. Very, very cool. Wow. Do you have, um, or were both of your pa- parents together throughout your life? Yes, they were. I was very blessed uh, to have a very, we'll call it, uh, stable, stable environment. Uh, not a lot of, you know, major changes uh, in, in the environment. Uh, so I was fortunate that they stayed together until they they uh, they died. Wow. Very, very cool. Do you know how many years that was? They were married, whoo, 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 I'd say about 60 years, 60 that, years. So that is I was awesome. with them. I'm the youngest child, so I was with them the longest. So I got mm-hmm. to experience my parents for a longer period of time. Right on, man. God bless you, dude. I'm the youngest, too. Out of how many siblings do you have? I have two older brothers. Oh, what a coincidence. Wow. 
Well, we have a lot in common, Mr. Allen. That's interesting. How's your relationship with them? Oh, relationship with them is, I would say, uh, we don't, you know, Christmas, we say hi, and Thanksgiving, we say hi. Uh, And if you happen to be, you know, in California, you'd stop by and say hi. Uh, But I wouldn't call it, uh, we call them every day kind of relationship. Yeah, I understand. So kind of uh, disconnected or whatever. Disconnected might be a good word, yeah. Okay, that's but cool. disconnected, but we're still connected. But in terms of what it could be, I suppose where we are not as connected as we could be. Yeah, that's a shame. I wonder what happened there. I have similar issue. I'm not going to get into, but yeah, my my family's completely cut off. But it wasn't my choice, and I really don't want it this way. But they're just the kind of people that do things that I can't really understand, man. I mean, if you can't beat them, confuse them, I suppose, would be, <laughs> that's what happened to me. But uh, that's that's wild. And um, so are your, both of your parents, I mean, you're pretty old uh, compared to some folks that still have parents they talk about. Uh, are they both uh, deceased? Have they yeah, both... they're, they're deceased now. They're, okay. They're buried up in the... A military cemetery on the, be- the beautiful hills of San Diego, above the oh. harbor. There's a beautiful cemetery up there for the military. Really? Awesome. Overlooking the ocean. Woohoo! It's it's a. Yeah, I like to be buried there. Yeah, man. Is that? Um, let's see. Is that down by like 32nd Street, the military base there, or is uh, it? It's a huge naval base in San Diego. Yeah, and, uh, you go around the base and you go up the top of the hills and then you head back down south and there's the all the antennas and all the radio stuff. But that's where they created oh, a yeah. military cemetery. That's really cool. I didn't know there was a cemetery down there. I knew there was a base and I'd been to the commissary with my grandparents before. As I grew up, my grandparents, you know, did a lot of shopping at the commissary. So I got to go on base a lot. Yeah, it's and, sort of fun, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And very, um, you know, looking back, I guess it's different. You know what I mean? You see the different types of people and there's a lot of respect and everything's really chill. And I don't know. I had a lot of positive memories shopping as a kid for some reason. (laughs) Um, So in New York, what is uh, some, can we kind of draw on maybe some early New York memory that you might have to share? you know, for those of us who have never really lived in the city, I lived in upstate for a little while. Um, you really have to be there to to really believe it, I think. <laughs> its size and, you know, just the immensity of the whole thing. And, you know, people don't realize that uh, even though there's so many people packed in, there's a lot of love and heart in New York, you know, and I learned that through various channels and uh, the people of New York are a beautiful people. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, what, uh, you know, being an older person, what are some early childhood memories that, you know, come to mind when you think of the great Big Apple? Mm-hmm. Well, in my early days, it wasn't called the Big Apple. Uh, so that, <laughs> that, that's one of the changes that's happened over my lifetime. It's like now it's the Big Apple. Okay, good. What was it called back then? It's called New York City. So simple. Okay. Yeah. And Very good. The, I'm, I'm born in New York City, raised across the George Washington Bridge in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And 
my grandmother had a, a house uh, in Ridgewood, New Jersey, and we'd go to her house at Thanksgiving, and on and, and it was on top of a a, a hill, uh, and the hill had a, a road that bordered the hill, and then there was a brick wall, a beautiful stone wall, and you would go to the stone wall. And you would look out across the whole northern New Jersey. It's pretty high in the air. And in the distance, you could see the skyline of New York City from, from that vantage point by my grandmother's house. Mm. And that was always a thrill uh, to be able to see the vistas of, of New York City. Absolutely. And my visits to New York City would be the, uh, you get to go to New York to the museums when you're in elementary school. Mm. So the Museum of Natural History, the planetariums hockey games at Madison Square Garden, uh, wow. the beauty of you know, Central Park. And I find that New York is one of the most fascinating cities in the world. It's not my favorite city, but it's definitely in the top three. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. What would be your favorite cities, out of curiosity? Favorite city would be Paris. Oh, really? Okay. That would, that would be, I, I was blessed my junior year in college, I lived a year in Paris, and boy, oh boy, that's just a, and my minor in college was French, so I could actually get around a little bit with the language, and just to see, you know, just, just to enjoy Paris was just, I still go there. My, I got married, and my wife had never traveled abroad, and so the very first trip we took abroad was, we got on a plane and flew to Paris and spent a couple of weeks in Paris. That is amazing. And uh, definitely, I, I couldn't help but just kind of think in my mind how funny it'd be like if you were talking about Paris, California or Paris, Texas, but uh, no, the great country of France. <laughs> oui, oui, c'est ça. C'est le, le city de, de, de uh, Paris. Oh, yeah. Have you, do you know where Paris, California is? Just out of curiosity. Well, I graduated from Pasadena High School. Uh, oh, okay. Then, yeah, and I went to San Jose State University oh. up in Northern California and right. lived up in Northern California for 30 Beautiful. years. Beautiful. Paris, Texas is more of a, a place I can remember. I don't remember Paris, California, though. Okay, that's cool. I was just wondering. Yeah, that's funny. Very, very different, though. Yeah. <laughs> you won't find many baguettes in Paris, uh, Texas, or Paris, California, I don't think. And the quality uh, of the pastries is really quality it's not just yeah. steak it's the their, their breads and their pastries are very nice absolutely and uh growing up as a child in new york was it different you think than other people that live in different cities in the country because it is a bustling area and there's a lot going on you have a lot of social influences and dynamics that constantly change i would think um what was it like uh growing up in that environment um you know, just as an individual, but also, you know, with siblings, because that always plays an important role in things. I remember growing up was in, in Ridgewood. And so that's about 20 miles on, on the other side of the George Washington Bridge in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. It was a, 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 a suburban, a, a, not rural, but a suburban. It's a village. Ridgewood, they say it was a village, less than 25,000 people. And that felt pretty cool. And so you and my mother was and my grandmother were sort of raised in, in that Ridgewood area. So we had some nice roots there. Went to elementary school. I remember it, I enjoyed being the youngest. I sort of followed in the steps of the older brothers. 
And Boy Scouts was a big deal. The Cub Scouts did the Boy Scouts. Uh, military, father was uh, general counsel for Transamerica Corporation, but he was also a colonel in the United States Army. My brothers were officers. So mm. I was sort of raised with a military flavor to the environment. That's cool. And which was very useful because it got me to, got a little military experience. But the thing I liked about the military, which I value to this day, is discipline. Being able to focus your attention on something and not be and not be uh, pulled away, distracted by something. You're able to, you know, do it trim and proper and alignment because it, it makes the reality in which you live a clear space to to experience your life. If the physicalness of your environment is as pristine as you can possibly make it. Mm -hmm. And the military gives you that spit and polish feeling. Yeah. And it, it sort of you've, you've experienced the value of it. And so you bring it into your civilian life and try to maintain it. But there's no drill sergeant to do it to tell you <laughs> over the head. So you have to sort of do it by by yourself. I thought that's what marriage was for, man. <laughs> well, I, I, I do have a, a, a I don't call her a drill sergeant. but She's my wife of 30, 31 years. Oh, and that's another blessing to have awesome. a relationship in which there's harmony of values is is a gift absolutely it sure is absolutely is and um so you know growing up would you say that you had an advantage living in a big city like that well ridgewood wasn't a big city ridgewood was the small city oh i'm sorry i mean having access you know nearby and all that right 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 well it's a resource to be able to have the the, the suburban experience and be able to travel into new york I didn't really get involved in New York until oh, in my career, we actually bought a home on the Upper West Side, uh, right by Central Park in the Museum of Natural History. Uh, it was just a wonderful place. And so we, we had the home in, in Connecticut, uh, in, in the Stonington area. And then we traveled you know, two and a half hours down to the, to the apartment in, in New York City. And then we really got more immersed in new york but now i'm in my 50s 50s late 50s early 60s mm -hmm. so new york is still part of my 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 dna todd yeah man i hear that i hear that um so as you kind of uh explored your life uh you know throughout uh whatever cultural and social experiences that you might have had where was it in your life that you saw your future and uh how old were you when you first figured out you know what you wanted to do when you grew up so to speak i would say uh, the the clarity of purpose mm -hmm. uh, probably in the late the late uh, in my teenage years, I'm reading books on yoga and uh, all these gurus in India who can do all these incredible things. Yeah. And I'm looking at my experience and I'm saying, that sounds pretty cool, those things those, those folks can do in meditation and spirituality. Mm -hmm. And it made me have the thought that, is there anything more than what I'm experiencing? Is there something else available to human awareness? Uh, and that became the spark uh, that 
that created the flame that still burns to this day, to to being a, a seeker, seeking something that you can't touch. You can call it spirituality. You can call it metaphysical. There's something, another reality in which is beyond suffering. And so you want to be able to reduce the suffering that you experience in order to experience the divinity and the joy and the love that that is also available in the moment. Yet, why do some people suffer, but some people dealing with the same situations don't suffer? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no question. We're also differently wired. Um, yeah, there. I think there's a common thread. Um, I think there's some kind of common thread that we can all figure out and tap into. Uh, we're going to explore that, though, here in a minute, for sure. Um, so, you know, realizing that you were a spiritually focused person, um, did that set you apart from your siblings, or did that kind of, like, line up with everybody else? And were you are you all different, or are you all very similar in your wiring? One of my <clears throat> uh, psychology guru teachers would be Carl Jung. Yeah. <clears throat> He's like, there, there's Adler, there's, there's Freud, and there's Jung. These are the three big guys in psychology. So I'm more of the Jungian guy. He's the spiritual guy. And uh, he, he talks, and uh, there's a... Oh, a metaphysical, I'm not quite sure how to, how, how to describe it. Uh, it's, uh, it's called the tarot cards, tarot. And in, in the tarot cards, uh, there is the uh, idea of, of space and the, in, in, the individuation process, he calls it. And so I'm, 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 I'm involved in that individuation process, that journey, that path, that spiritual direction. And what, what they talk about is that, that space uh, of beyond the thoughts that you think and the source of suffering, uh, the source of all sickness, all physical sickness. And I'll, I'll say 99%, I'll keep myself safe, there's 1% maybe otherwise, but pretty much 99% of the physical issues that happen with you are caused by the thoughts inside your head. It's not the situation that you're facing. It's the narrative that you paint in your mind about that situation. And one of the, one of the pieces of information that I remember I, I got into my abnormal psych class that Dr. Edgar at San Jose State taught. Back I love that class. It was a great class. I think it's and great. And he's talking about the uh, hypnosis. And he's saying, well, we can bring a person up. This is research. They bring a person up. They put them under hypnosis up on stage. And they take a piece of chalk. Remember the chalk they did on blackboards? Mm -hmm. And they take the piece of chalk and they tell the person under hypnosis that the chalk is actually a burning cigarette. They right. then take the chalk. They put it on the palm of the person's hand just for three seconds. They then take it off. They then bring the person out of hypnosis and Todd. What's on the person's hand? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's going to be a, a mark, mark from a burnt a cigarette. Yeah. We're talking a, a, a scar caused by mm -hmm. a piece of chalk, which can't create star, scars. Sure. But the thoughts inside your head can alter the physical body. Wow. And so, the, so if you can begin to manage 
through meditation, the thoughts that you think, uh, you'll notice that your emotions, your physical, your mental, everything becomes more healing and more balanced and more stable. The way of describing uh, my family would be quiet, mm. non-emotional. Father was a lawyer, very controlled, very mental, an officer in the United States Army, very little yeah. emotion, yeah. very little upset. I, I, maybe once in my life I saw him angry. Uh, mm. Mother was a, uh, stayed home. She took care of the house, uh, a New Jersey socialite kind of a person. Uh, and uh, there wasn't a lot of, of emotional feeling in, in, that, in that environment. Mm -hmm. And so when you asked me, uh, you know, a little bit about my, my path, going back to the tarot cards, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the hermit. It's the, it's the inside the, the turtle shell. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not connected. To, it's not, uh, there's not a lot of social outlets. Uh, and so I look at my life, uh, that path of, of the hermit, you, you gain the knowledge, but you live in this uh, uh, isolated uh, mm -hmm. environment. It doesn't mean that there wasn't Boy Scouts. It doesn't mean that there wasn't social things. But there, there wasn't the, uh, I, there weren't strong uh, opinions about this is what you need to do. Maybe my older brother got a lot of that. You need to do this. But by the time that I got there, I was pretty much left alone. Um, I could leave at fi five years old. I could get on my bicycle and go away for the day and come back. Yeah, and I could ride them. I could ride my bike to school. I could go to the woods. I could. We had woods behind the house. I'm three years old. I'm, I'm walking through the woods. I'm four <laughs> years old. I'm climbing. There's a there's houses they're building, and it's really cool when they're building the house and the workers go away. The house is left mm -hmm. overnight, and you see the the guts of the house, the, the rafters, and the nothing oh, yeah. filled in yet, and there's all these nooks and crannies and. Mm -hmm. and things you can crawl on and, and yeah and it's like woo really great but i'm four years old sure now, you think about doing things like that you know nowadays it's like oh no 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 you can't do this you can't do this can't do this can't do this can't do this i was yeah. left alone i could pretty much do anything i wanted to yeah i understand that including understand i'll tell that. you one thing that's now i'm about six years old i thought wouldn't it be nice to to uh put put a uh put a, a, a rag in the, uh, the car, the gasoline engine, the, the part, the, the gap, oh, take the cap off, put it right and light it and, no. and watch the car blow up. I'm six years old now. Did you I'm do it? I'm left alone, you know, I'm doing, fortunately the car didn't blow up. And so I, I realize now that I'm in my seventies, that's probably, probably <laughs> good that it didn't. That is so crazy. I was yeah. a little bit of a firebug too when I was a child. I, uh, I, I lit some leaves on fire in a drain and it caused a lot of smoke and everybody freaked out. It was like uh, in the middle of an apartment complex. But <laughs> uh, I was a hyperactive little child. Were you hyperactive as a child or anything like that? Or were you more normal and, you know, not plagued with the... Well, we didn't have hyperactivity energy. in those days, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. That wasn't a word we'd use. It's like everybody was sort of a certain way and... Uh, one maybe a little slower, but there wasn't mm. like hyperactivity kind of no stuff. No labels. 
uh, and so now all we need we need some sort of drugs to monitor the hyperactivity. Right. Yeah, uh, Ritalin, I think, is one of the drugs they talked about. Uh, we need uh, to calm the anxieties people exactly have. Right. You know, they're, you're too high, strong. You know, uh, right, right, right. Let me change you with this medication. And quite frankly, that's what happened to me, man. They stuck me on Ritalin. When I was a baby, they didn't know what to do, and they wanted to institutionalize me. I'm 50 years old, by the way. Um, but when I was a child, apparently, they didn't understand, and some person somewhere along the way wanted to put me in a nut house, man, just because I was a little baby that moved around a little too much and didn't sleep, you know, the normal hours. <laughs> so I remember it a little bit differently than you do. Uh, the labels were really strong in my world. Oh, and yeah. Unfor you know, unfortunately, that's, that's... they stuck, you know. So well, that's the problem with labels. Uh, you, you don't realize the power that a label has on, on altering the reality in which you live. Mm. And what comes to mind is that if, if you win the war, you're the patriots. If you lose the war, you're the terrorist. <laughs> and, and if you, if you're really angry at somebody, you usually paint them as the worst possible way. So if they, if they die, it's good that they died because they're a, they're a, a terrorist. Right. So in your mind, you can free yourself from the guilt by, by the labels you put on things. And mm. part of the suffering that people have is, that, is the labeling. Uh, and, and then that leads, that leads you down a certain path. Oh, he's a hyperactive children. Oh, therefore, we need to send them down this path. Right. Uh, Ritalin, you know, some sort of school that you go to away from home. Uh, yep. Because with Private other kids, that's the same, same issues that you have. Oh, yeah. Well, kind of. I, I did go to private school, ironically enough. But um, it, it, believe me, my issues were a little bit different. But... You know, there were people with much bigger issues and, you know, some smaller issues and everybody in between. It was a really interesting environment. I went to a school that had a diversity, I mean, in every possible way. I mean, we had we had a very interesting mix of people and everybody got along and respected each other. And there was never any, you know, I mean, kid stuff, you know, but there was never really any judgment and stuff. And. That's one of the cool things about it. You know, um, I do remember about that experience. Really nice and very accepting environment. Um, so that's different, uh, but really interesting. So your father's military and your mother's homemaker. It sounds like my grandparents, man. Like, <laughs> well, they were. There are my children's grandparents. That's true. Yep. Yep. That's really but cool. They, things were different. Uh, things were there were three news channels, uh, ABC, mm -hmm. NBC, CBS. Mm -hmm. There was Walter Conkright. There was three choices. There was three sources of information. Uh, there was Ozzie and Harriet. There was black and white television. There was the Ed Sullivan show. Uh, there, there's very, uh, you know, neutral things. There wasn't, there wasn't instantaneous news about something just blew up a thousand miles away from you and the blood drips on your television. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't have that that direct experiences and right now there's so many things that are so many moving parts it's hard to keep yourself balanced and stable when so many things are moving in the outer world 
Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, so let's let's wrap up my fascination with your family real quick and get into. I know you're dying to do it, and and honestly, I'm kind of excited to, to talk about your topic as well. So, um, tell me the earliest lesson that you remember from each of your parents. Think about it for a moment, and like, what's the most like you know? For me, I remember you know always tell the truth, like. To me, that that one stuck, you know, without a doubt throughout my whole life. I still do it today, even if it gets me into trouble. But, you know, for me, it was that. Um, what was it for you, the very earliest lesson that you can think of from one or both of your parents? Well, a couple of things come to mind. One is don't get caught. Right. So uh, you do things behind the scenes that parents don't know about. Don't get caught. Interesting. If you get caught. You know, one of my, I'm now eight years old, going through the neighborhood in Ridgewood, throwing rocks at windows oh, and shit. breaking them. Uh, and I got caught, believe it or not. Uh, yeah. Well, I've been caught doing things, but you try not, you try not to get caught. And, and yeah. as I said before, wasn't strong programming. There wasn't like, you need to do this or you're going to rot in hell for life. Right. There wasn't the strong programming, which is, which to me, I, you don't have a strong identity. So the problem with suffering is the stronger you have identified yourself as something someone told you that you need to do, then the more reactive you are if somebody threatens that, that identity. And fortunately, yeah. I was blessed with not strong opinions about this is what you have to do, and if you don't do it, that, that is wrong. It was pretty mm -hmm. much, leave your, your, I'm, we're going to leave you alone. We're Food, clothing, and shelter is taken care of. Education is taken care of. All that's in the background, but we're not going to tell you what your path needs to be. And so I was uh, didn't have that guidance. Whereas my wife, I mean, she's guiding my kids. I mean, yeah. she's she's like the helicopter parent. I mean, she is guiding them. Do this, do that, do do. And I didn't have that. It was more like, hey, you know, we got you eighteen. You're on your own. They yeah, still yeah, provided. Yeah. They still provided the, the 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 education, the money at school until around twenty three, maybe. Dad cut off the flow of money, and so then I had to finish my school and get the job. And but you know, I was a student; didn't cost a lot of, mm -hmm. of money to live in those days. Mm -hmm. and no, so it that, was that age, Yeah, yeah. I was talking to. A, a, a lady, a, one of our trainers, she lives down in Irvine, California, one bedroom apartment, $2,300. Really? And I'm like, Whoa! Dude, in God, Irvine. That's, that's so crazy. Dude, when I lived in Irvine, I was a little uh, young person. Well, I mean, I grew up there, I guess, through high school. So I was there a while. But I mean, I'm imagining the rent on our big three, let's see, one, two, three bedroom maybe four bedroom house was probably you know under 500 bucks like i mean a ridiculously low amount of money back then i know it's totally different like the whole house man and uh wow yeah that's really eek wow all right yes don't live in california anymore that's one of the things i'm happy about uh no question there absolutely and you're out in arizona now yeah yeah what part? Yeah, 
in uh, the central part of the state. I'm in a little town called Mayer, Arizona, and it is um, very country, very rural, very mountainous, and uh, about 4,600 feet up. So if you want to go to like Phoenix, where it's really, really hot, and the temperature changes about 20 degrees um, in the summertime, you know, it's typically 20 degrees hotter or more down south. Um, and it's only 45 minutes, you know, and you're down the mountain and into Hell's Kitchen. It's not the Hell's Kitchen that you know, though. <laughs> uh, just kidding. It's a really, really, really hot place to be in the summertime. Let me just tell you, dude, like, yeah, if you don't like the heat, don't come anywhere near Phoenix. Go north. The further north you go, the nicer it is. And I mean, it snows here. It'll snow in the next month or two. You know, we get we get all four seasons. It's crazy. Who would have thought in Arizona, you know? I My daughter graduated from Arizona State University. Oh, then you understand a lot more than most people. We, we, spent, <laughs> we spent time in our... Plus, we do trainings around the world, and Phoenix is one of the places you do trainings. Mm -hmm. And I would say one of my uh, favorite, num the number one favorite spot, I'm not talking cities, but the number one favorite spot in my life would be Sedona. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. That is, that is a, 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 Sedona is, is a, a vortex, a, a, a teleportation place <laughs> that you can go. And yeah. experience that dimension of consciousness that we're talking about that the American Indians know about. You're exactly the, the right. Sacred, sacred areas of energy that it's like gives me I, for my 75th birthday, which uh. is coming up in, in, in March. Mm -hmm. uh, my children and I are, are flying out to Sedona. We're going to spend the week uh, in a, you know, Air, Airbnb. Really? Just, just enjoying the. I'm looking for a shaman. I want to. I'd like to have a spiritual experience because, because that to me is like a, it, it accelerates that, that the environment accelerates your spiritual growth. How yeah, far I, is Mayor from Sedona? Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, I'd love to meet you, and uh, I would gladly drive to you uh, to do that. But it's about 40 minutes, um, so it's not that far. Um, Sedona is actually one of the places I'm thinking of relocating to next year. So that's uh, definitely a coincidence there. But yeah, I really like that place. And, you know, it's um, it's difficult living in this area for certain personality types. I'm guessing I'm not alone. Uh, but because I like to be more social and stuff, sometimes the country life can be a little daunting, let's say. Um, leave a lot to be desired, but in a place like Sedona, there is like a propensity for social interaction and lots of interesting dynamics, but usually focused in a spiritual way. So, you know, you get like a certain type of person and they all want to connect and go exploring together, like you said, you know, and you're exactly right. There's some really amazing things that happen there. And I haven't experienced them myself. I've only been to Sedona a handful of times, but I did the census. Um, when I worked at the census, that was one of my places. I got to go and uh, run around Sedona for a few days, and that was quite eye-opening. Yeah, like the views, oh. and it's it's like it's like a fantasy land, man. It's like, I mean, hold on a second. How did I wake up in an acid trip? 
<laughs> right, right. It, it, there's a, the, the the red rocks, the mountains, the yeah. geography. The uh, it's just uh, there's a church can, there they built there. It's a, yep. a, a, a cathedral, it's a Catholic church or something. It's just a. I, so I'm going to go make sure I go to that church on Sunday because I just I want to experience the energy. Totally, dude. Yeah, you should. And uh, the shaman thing, yeah, that's definitely. I wouldn't get in the way of that. Um, you'll find the right person and. Um, just beware, though, because there's a lot of uh, people who maybe aren't as authentic and you want to just, you know, really be extra wary of avoiding those types of experiences. You know what I mean? Well, I remember they talked about the sweat lodge fella a few years back where people were doing <laughs> the sweat lodge and they yeah. went in the sweat lodge but never came out again alive. Yeah. So we're not interested in that. No, I am interested in the sweat lodge, but I'd like it, I'd like it legit. Yeah. Have you ever done it before? Nope, nope. Oh, it's one of those things. It's like it sounds like another thing to do. Yeah, dude. Um, when I was in, San, I'll just share real quick uh, for you to look forward to this. But when I was in San Diego, I forget why or how, but somehow or another, I ran across this really cool Indian guy, and we ended up becoming friends. And he invited me out to his land, which was, you know, out on the Indian reservation where you're not supposed to go, and unless you're going to the casino as a white person. And uh, so long story short, I ended up going to a sweat there and it was the coolest experience ever, man. Like it was just amazing and really, really hot. You know, I can see where, you know, if you're not smart and you didn't like regulate your breathing right, you could die. But it was uh, definitely trial by fire, I think is a good way to put it. And What's so amazing is the heat and the uh, spiritual energy and the singing, all of that just kind of uh, like it'll really work. I can already tell you're going to just die. You're going to love it. I mean, I, sorry, I don't mean that. You're not just going to die. Uh, I, I was an un, unexpected Freudian slip. Um, I, no, I, I, I think it's funny, Todd. That's funny. Yeah, good, good, good. Did they You'll do any drugs? Did they do any peyote or any of those? Uh, in some places, stuff? in some places, yeah. And um, they have two, two different tribes in this area. So it depends. Um, there's a way to find the path that you're looking for. Um, I actually was going to take that path myself, and I was going to ask for permission and go meet the chief and all that. And I just didn't follow through with it. But there's a really easy way. I'll turn you on to it after the show. Um, I'll look it up. And I actually had to do it for the census. I had to go and make a phone call. And then they made another phone call. And then, like, somebody from, like, you know, somewhere popped out of nowhere. And bing, bang, boom, he's the leader of the whole place. And, you know, what you talk with him about gets done. And, you know, they have avenues for things like that so um like uh, a person seeking spiritual respite or um you know uh, something kind of special you can find it um there's just a certain way to go about it so i'll make sure and Wonderful. share that with you i appreciate that that's very valuable to me yeah no i'm happy to do it man and i hope it i hope it impacts your uh vacation in a positive way for sure and Gosh, you know, and wanting to experience all those different things, um, you know, that's huge. And in this area, you know, I'm sure you believe in ghosts than in UFOs, right? 
Well, I do believe that uh, we we are not the only ones in the universe. I certainly mm-hmm. I certainly believe that. That's cool. Well, you're definitely in an area where there's a lot of spirits floating around, and like not far from uh, Sedona is another place called Jerome, and I would encourage you to uh, put that on your uh, itinerary as a day trip and. Uh, Get in your rent-a-car and go drive to Jerome, man. And uh, it's like a tiny little itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny San Francisco on the side of a mountain. It's ridiculous. Like, you won't even believe it when you see it. Like, it'll blow your mind. And We, we took the we, – we drove out of Phoenix, heading up towards Sedona, made a left turn in the mountain, <laughs> small town, and they had a hamburger place on the cliff. That's it, dude. And you were in Jerome, a, man. A very windy mining town. Yeah, that's it. That was Jerome. Beautiful. What and, did and you it, think of that? Way up on high, you know. It's yeah. like wonderful views. Yes, yes, yes. It's quite an amazing adventure, getting and leaving. Um, but well, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the it's a hotel now. But what used to be an insane asylum uh, still sits there, and that's part of what is the lure of that place is the haunted and i think they call it the haunted hamburger or hamburger something to do with haunted hamburgers i don't know but that place that you're talking about is really well known and it's right like across the street from what used to be a you know one of those sanitariums crazy people used to go there and you know go crazy i guess (laughs) well when I when I go to Sedona, I, I will give you a call ahead of time and see what your schedule's like, and we oh, can yeah. uh, meet and uh, have coffee or lunch or something. Or I would love that. Maybe that do a what together at the Indian Leaders Lodge. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I would probably uh, like I might I might do shrooms maybe, but like I would be hesitant to do peyote. But I do believe that 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 alternative exists if you're looking for that kind of a ride but um i'm kind of scared of doing psychedelics in my old age i used to and when i was younger i got a lot of value out of them but you know things are so weird i'm honestly afraid of what i might see well i find that uh, the drugs uh, accelerate the the lowering of the wall mm-hmm. between the physical and the and the metaphysical reality so you can taste and see something beyond the beyond the physical, but then the problem the drug wears off, the wall comes back up again. Whereas meditation, you know, you don't use the drugs; you just use use meditation to lower the wall. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And speaking of which, um, perfect segue into the uh, subject matter that you really specialize in. You have a. Uh, some special gifts, actually. Could you describe a little bit about what you do and what your title is? My my school title would be educational psychologist, specializing in the transpersonal conversation. Transpersonal says that there is a physical reality, which we'll call the ego, and there's a metaphysical reality called the being. Mm-hmm. The, the the physical reality is the source of suffering, which comprised of thought. The metaphysical reality is the salvation from the suffering and is comprised of empty space. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the trick is how do you build a bridge from that egoic identity 
over to that being identity where joy, love, satisfaction, if you're in India, it would be called mukti, liberation from the mind. You build the bridge by creating space between the thoughts that you that you think, which makes it, you know, the thoughts that you think are inside your head. You can't grasp the thoughts that you think, but you can create space between the thoughts that you speak. And so I've done for the last 40 years training speakers to focus not only on creating the sound, but also on creating the empty spaces between the sounds. And when you can consciously create empty spaces between the sounds, you now have control of the number one tool that will transform you from the ego to the being, also transform you from an amateur speaker into a professional speaker. Very and that cool. tool is the ability to control the timing of your speaking. Hmm. Just like in music, when you have the rest between the sounds, Mm -hmm. Make the music music. Mm -hmm. When you watch a professional speaker, you'll notice that the really good ones have this lots of empty spaces between the sounds that they speak. Yeah. Whereas the amateur speaker, the sounds are right close together, like constipated. Mm-hmm. Very normal, but constipated. Mm-hmm. And what we want to do is we want to aerate the soil of the thoughts by putting holes in their fabric of their speaking by consciously pausing while they're speaking and we call that mindful spacious speaking excellent and when you you can when you can consciously create that empty space Mm -hmm. you then can take your magnifying glass and your flashlight and shine it on that empty space and you'll find that there's a tool there a scepter tool of power that controls the programming it's like zeros and ones programming yeah. every, all the computers are zeros and ones mm-hmm. well one is the making of the sound zero is the making of no sound and when you can consciously create the sounds and the pauses you now have a choice about what sound you want to make next and a sound is a vibration that either makes the flowers grow in your reality or makes the flowers die in your reality. Wow. The ego makes the flowers die. That's yeah. your attack thoughts. You don't know what you're talking about, Todd. I know what I'm talking about. I'm the way you got to live in that little town. You're not defending <laughs> your point of view. That's yeah. attacking. And that makes the flowers die. Yeah. Versus loving, caring, kindness, compassion. Oh, dude. All within your power. That's amazing that you say that. Um, can I ask you something just kind of off subject really quick? Fire away. Are you familiar with the water experiment? No, well, I, maybe I am, but not under those words. What is it? Let me get the name. The gentleman named Masaru Emoto, and uh, he did something called the water experiment. And basically what he did is he exposed, um, you know, uh, uh, different forms of water. So like for lack of, you know, rather than drops, all this like glass. So he exposed glasses of water to various words, pictures, music, focused energy, and then he flash froze the water to examine the structure of the water under a microscope. And so 
what he discovered and you can actually go and experience this right now on youtube and be blown away at the results it's really quite something and you got to see it to believe it but basically from the left side you were just talking about it exactly the way that it is and you understand it in a different way so i want to plug this in so the left side let's say is negative and hate let's say the right side is positive and love so we have this spectrum right like left to right hate lower energy lower frequency lower vibratory on the left and then as you move to the right it becomes more finite and higher frequency higher energy healing restorative blah 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 all of that and so essentially on the left side let's say the first water droplet was hate so that water droplet when he looked at it under a microscope could see that it was without form it is like coming right out of the bible without form and void <laughs> but basically it just lacks any shape or structure there's nothing to it at all that gives it any sort of you know value and uh, no evidence of anything interacting with it whereas when you move over to the right side and get into the more positive things structure begins to develop and so each of these different drops of water that you focus in a loving manner or a uh, healing loving manner of whatever sort produces shapes and uh you know um things that you just you know would never imagine are possible but they're perfect you know perfect um elements of nature you know uh the uh what are they the, the things you used to make out of paper the you know the snow things <laughs> <They're those. laughs> each drop is amazing like i mean you can see it and so love and like um harmony and like you're beautiful they all have different energetic frequency responses and those responses can be captured in water and studied and they're consistent that's the other thing and so it's really fascinating you, you know you just said the same thing but there's actually evidence that shows that not only can we repair and regenerate water uh, which has a direct impact on our health but also we can repair and restore water and nature and so there's been other studies where you know the monks will go and sit outside of a lake that's contaminated and pray and over time their prayer develops a result that you can actually physically see and it heals and restores the cells of the water or whatever powerful stuff dude but the water experiment yeah that ties into your reality perfectly and i'm you know, thinking something. about the the, uh, the 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 key the using my my model the the thought mm -hmm. that would create the most beautiful uh, snowflake or the most yes. beautiful molecule yes. would be the thought of forgiveness yeah because Perfect. the problem that people have with suffering is that they have a lot of grievances and complaints about their life mm -hmm. and the people in their life the things that have happened to them the events that have happened to them the i'm a victim i'm i was on ritalin they wanted to send me. so we have complaints and we have grievances uh, that 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 what you're saying that everything just is but there's pieces of crap 
in my in my movie, in my holodeck that I've been on, there's pieces of crap that I'm keeping there because I will never I will never forgive I will never forgive my mother, my father, the teacher, the, I'm a victim because forgiveness involves uh, I, I'd have to give up my righteous wrath. I'd have to uh, it's, it's it's a complete denial of the truth. It is a it, it for me to forgive you is is unjustified is undeserved because you really, really. So that's the strong ego, but that's the weight that holds the hot air balloon down. It, it keeps you grounded. It doesn't make you light. And so in the Bible, I, I, you mentioned it, the Bible has wonderful pointers. Uh, the Apostles' Creed, the, 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 I, I believe in the forgiveness of sin. Lord's Prayer. We forgive those who trespass and forgive those who trespass against us. We forgive those, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so forgiveness is so important, but it's so difficult to do for the ego. But yeah, that, man. that would make a beautiful snowflake. No, you're exactly right. And, and honestly, part of the part of the thing that makes it really interesting is that because our bodies are primarily water, yep. one of the things he demonstrates is that water stores energy and, you know, matter has some ability to store energy to a certain degree. So we have to realize that when we're managing our thoughts and, and the state of uh, bliss that comes along with meditation, and quite frankly, I could use more of it myself, um, so I understand that, you know, and the difference, but that whole state of bliss and all that comes at the expense of turning off their thought process and allowing us to be energy beings for a little while, which is really, I think, a challenge, you know, in today's world to, you know, not have something on and, you know, no music, no TV, you know, no lights or whatever. Uh, it's just different, you know what I mean? But we're living in a time where people are drawn away from that. So um, let's maybe share a little bit about what's available to people who don't know it, about it, you know what I mean? Uh, for a lot of people, meditation might be a faraway concept, you know? What is it that your teaching will be able to help people with in terms of managing their stress and, you know, health and whatnot? Like, how does that work? My my customers, my students are professional speakers. Mm -hmm. They work for corporations. They mm -hmm. their job is to stand in front of audiences mm -hmm. and deliver corporate messages in a way that moves the sales cycle forward. Uh, you want to be clear. You want to be polished. You want to look professional in front of in front of the audience. Mm -hmm. So anybody that has to stand in front of an audience. And I've been focusing on corporations because they have the money to pay for to pay, to pay for the training. Perfect. And, and so you you look at those those folks, and they're motivated. They they want to get better. They want to polish their skills. And so what we do is we 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 create training programs. We have you know two and a half hour coaching sessions, one day trainings, two day trainings, three day trainings, where we coach them. And, and then videotape them so they can see how they're performing their thoughts. And most people don't perform their thoughts. They talk, but they don't perform their thoughts. And to perform your thought, you have to think about how I want to perform my thought. You got to think about, well, what thought do I want to say? How do I want to say it? 
loud voice, quiet voice? Is there a gesture that I want to use, a hand gesture? Is there a piece of, is there a physical object like a prop that I could use to help them understand my thoughts? And all that takes time. But if you don't create a pause, then you have no time. Right. If you have no time, then you're an automatic speaker. And an automatic speaker is not able to perform their thoughts very at the level of a professional speaker who has the time to think about how, how I can shape my thought in order to have the maximum impact on the listening of the audience. Yeah, a lot goes into it. And I mean, I've seen some really great speaking engagements where, yeah, it's clear that there's a lot of uh, preparation that goes into that kind of stuff. Um, and this is primarily, of course, for business, right? Like, I mean, but this carries over to personal, doesn't it? Like the ability to speak kind of goes along with you no matter where you are. The, 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 the personal part is who are you speaking for? If you ask somebody, well, who are you speaking for? And they'll say, well, I'm speaking for me. Well, then you say, well, who's me? Well, me is your identity. It's all the things that you consider yourself to be. The color of your skin, where you live, your religion, your football team, your points of view, your beliefs, your geography, everything that you have learned through your five senses from the time you were born to this moment of now is vacuumed up and it becomes part of your memory. And that's who you speak for. That is your identity. And your identity, Todd, is different than my identity and is different than other people's identity because no one is raised in exactly the same same type of garden. And so you're speaking for your identity. So when you pause, and I was going to make a sound, but I, but I decided not to make a sound. I decided to pause. So the sound that I was going to make is no longer there. So the sound is I speak for the ego. So when you begin to create the pauses consciously, the egoic, the, the, it's suicide to the ego. The, you, you are the, the ego is dying because dying is a strong word. We'll use it. The ego is dissolving. And my favorite movie, I have two favorite movies. My first favorite movie for 30 years was 2001 Ooh. Space Odyssey. Yeah, that's a good one. At the end of the movie, uh, Dave goes into the computer bank and starts to take the crystals and, and to key and began to loosen the crystals. And you watch the crystals slowly come up to the surface as the memory was disconnected and Hal's voice began to change. And so when you create those spaces consciously between your thoughts while you're speaking, you'll notice there's a freedom there. There's a relaxation there. There's a breathing that you can do in that empty space that you can't do unless you pause. And boy, if you can breathe and relax and access wisdom and creativity and think on your feet and formulate your thoughts and relax your body, that would be a good thing to be able to do in all situations. And so Very you might cool. be able to, you might not be able to control the thoughts that the ego thinks right now but you can control the thoughts that the ego speaks. And I call that taming the tongue of the ego. Mm -hmm. So like, I mean, could it be as simple as like, uh, just to throw out a crazy example, like, you know, hypothetically speaking, I'm just 
you know, pretending to be somebody. I'm just a pissed off person. I work every day. I have to drive in traffic and I hate it and my life sucks. I'm pretty unhappy. Uh, if that person existed, clearly this would be a total deviation from that path, right? Like, I mean, this is one of those things that helps kind of turn all that negativity down, right? And help bring things into a more positive light, even without knowing why they want to do it. Like pretty much anybody can get benefit from this, right? You bet. You bet. When, when we wake up in the morning, you open your eyes, and your five senses plugs into the holographic, the holodeck, the movie. Mm-hmm. And, for the, and for the entire day, it's one stream of thought that goes through your mind. The thoughts don't end. The thoughts, there's no gaps between the thoughts that you think. It's one continuous, uninterrupted flow of thoughts. Probably Deepak Chopra, Eckhart Tolle talk about 65 to 80,000 thoughts a day pass across the movie screen inside your head. And you want to be able to manage, begin to manage those thoughts. And you want to be able to pause. And, and when you close your eyes, definitely you want to close your eyes. Because a lot of the agitation that you're talking about, dealing with all that, that energy, of, of all the social things happening, uh, all that energy, it stirs things up. And you'll notice that the thoughts really get stirred up. The, 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 the tornadoes in your mind really get stirred up when somebody or something is pressing the button of something you strongly identified with. Uh, God, for example. Some people are really identified with their God. And their God is the only God. And if you don't believe it, then you're a heathen and deserve to be killed. <laughs> so you say something about my God, which is negative. Like I did a lot of work in the Middle East and the Middle East has the, the Muslim religion mm-hmm. and the Muslim religion has a sacred text. Like we have the Bible. Well, they have something called the Quran. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the people believe if you do anything to violate the Quran, that, that's blasphemy. Um, you know, throw it on the ground or not worship it. And they will kill people for throwing the book on the ground. That just shows you how strongly identified they've been programmed to believe that they have to fight for God, and I saw you do something, and that therefore justifies me in killing you because I'm not doing it for me, I'm doing it for God. Uh, it's like, whoa, boy, those, those are more people that died over God than anything else. Yeah, yep, yep. It is the truth. It's crazy, right? Like, such a good thing. I mean, come on. <laughs> right. It's a good, the religion's a good thing. Uh, but, but when it's my religion... Uh, there has to be the other guys, and the other guys create the separation, and they become the enemy. Uh, yeah. and my job is to protect and defend my, my position. Uh, and yeah. I do everything I can, military, attack, whatever, in order to kill that which is threatening my reality. Man, yeah, forget about that job, dude. Like, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, Blow them away. Like- Get that rid of them. like a mess. <laughs> I tell you, we ought to have a machine gun on our cars when people cut us off on the roads. You know, you're too slow on the road. Get you touch <laughs> the fast lane. Get in the slow lane. Oh. It's like there's always so many things that 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 agitate yeah. people. Yeah. That's why meditation is so important. Yeah, yeah. You've got to train your mind not to get agitated. You got that uh, but right. The ego man. loves getting agitated. Yes, it does. It, it makes does. me me. I feel it right now, Todd. I've got it right now. I, you, right. It, it, it overtakes you. 
<laughs> well, turn turn all that shit off when you get on the highways of Arizona, because a lot of people carry guns here. <laughs> I know, I know. It's getting getting you know you know. Well, that's another conversation. That's another conversation about guns. <laughs> no, we we'll get to it. Yeah, love them, love them. Yeah, love them, love them. Um, having had to use one, you know, to be safe, you know, it, big fan, big fan, you know, but, uh, if you've never been there, you'd never know, but yeah, once you go there, it's like a whole nother deal. No question about it. So we're getting, uh, towards the end of our time together, believe it or not, that went fast. And I feel like we've just scratched the surface. We should definitely, uh, Maybe consider another episode with a little more of uh, diving directly into the subject matter of which that that you're about. I want to make sure we don't miss anything. So if we could just take some time and share a little bit about what people might have to look forward to and how they can reach you and what it is that uh, you might be able to offer someone listening today that's looking for something that could be a positive change in their life in some way and not even know that this is it. Yep. One of the practices of stillness or mindfulness that you can do without needing a, a coach is to go to a quiet place, free of distractions, indoors, close the door, sit down, uh, put a, get a mirror in front of you, get your body, eyes closed, get your body totally relaxed. Deep breaths, take a few deep breaths, I call them belly breaths, you know, fill up your lungs as far as you can. And then 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 open your eyes and just hold eye contact with yourself in the mirror and keep your body perfectly still. And you'll notice that you're not able to do that. Your body will twitch, you'll move and da 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 da, da. and just keep practicing that until you can keep your body still. You're calming the energy down. Then once your body is still, say a couple of words with a lot of empty spaces between the words. Like the average number of words might be 125, 140 words per minute. Slow down your speaking maybe to 70 words per minute, which means you've taken 70 words out, which means you put 70 spaces in. So creating the spaces between the thoughts that you speak, practicing five minutes a day, that will be enough to begin to shift your, yourself from the, the trap of the ego into the freedom of the being, because the being is, the, is, is in that empty space. So every time you create an empty space consciously, you wake up, you become more conscious. The light is brighter in the reality in which you live you can see things better you can make better decisions but if you got to go to the gym conceptually it was what i'm saying that's concepts this is not concepts this is practice you have to do the push-ups pausing as much as you can in, in your speaking our yeah. website the, the website is www.acamindfulu.com m-i-n-d-f-u-l you.com that would give you access to our coaching our trainings uh, things that we offer variety from individual coaching to team coaching to keynote speaking whatever the need is we can cut and paste and shape the conversation in order to begin to plant that seed of stillness 
that we need in our life. We need more stillness. We don't need agitation. We need stillness. Yeah. And and so that's that's a that's a big healing that will happen in people's minds if they can keep the thoughts under under their management, under their control, and not be carried away by by their egoic you know fireworks about something. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That gets in the way of so many things. The ego is you know, the ego is said to have uh, some beneficial aspects to it. You know, it can help motivate, you know, the achievement or the pursuit of something. But uh, by and large, I'm not a big fan of the ego. Yep, I understand. It's 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 necessary. The ego is, is memory. The ego is all your thoughts. And where are the thoughts stored? They're stored in memory. And the problem... And so memory is useful. Oh, there's a red light. I need to stop. Well, why did you stop? Because I remember that a red light means... So having a memory is useful. But psychologically, the saying is, put the past behind you, never to be remembered again. And that means that in this moment of now, there is no labeling. Because how do I know that's a mirror? I remember that's a mirror. Well, you don't have any memory, so you don't know that's a mirror. You don't even know this is a day. You don't know you have a body. You don't know that's a light. You don't know this is a room. You don't know that's a plant. You don't know anything. Mm-hmm. And and one of the the courses that I that I'm currently taking for for the last year is called a course in miracles, and it's 365 lessons each day. You know, I, you know, I'm and and the very first lesson. If your audience, it's the very first lesson is Please. look at look at everything in your room right now, right where you're, you're sitting in in in, in, in Mayor Mayor Arizona bathroom, right? Yeah, uh, and see everything: your plants, your pictures, the light, the wall, the ceiling, and nothing has any meaning. That pictures of your family, no meaning. The cat, the dog, the TV, your body, your mind, nothing has any meaning at all. So if nothing has any meaning, then it's all just a white slate. It's all, the, the Latin word was tabula rasa. Everything is just blank slate. And that's the definition of mindfulness. Mindfulness is to be present without labeling. And labeling means you create space. There's no sound there. There's no label there. It's just an empty space. And that will begin to uh, free you. Uh, but you have to practice and so we're going to create the empty spaces between the sounds that you speak. Five minutes a day, practice slowing down your speech, create the empty spaces. So the empty space becomes natural. Right now, it's artificial. To create it right now, it's artificial. But as you begin to practice, it becomes your natural state. You're naturally relaxed. Because as soon as you start to get upset, you, you observe that you're getting upset and you realize that that's causing chemical changes in my my body and I don't want those changes to happen so I'm going to stop thinking those thoughts how do I do that I got to practice forgiveness because Absolutely. what stirs me up are things I don't like and so I need to forgive that person and so you you learn all sorts of techniques to figure out a way to forgive somebody that doesn't deserve to be forgiven and I'll just for the last thing I'll say that the, the and the one that comes right away is from Tony Robbins. And he mm-hmm. says, people are doing the best they can with the resources they have. Yeah. And 
And so some people have great resources. Some people are raised in families that didn't give them resources. And so they, 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 they in their reality, it's 100% accurate what they're doing, but it's, it's causing damage to them physically, mentally, and emotionally, but that's the only way they know. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, wow. Yeah, those words couldn't be truer. <laughs> You're exactly right. I really like Tony Robbins, too. That was one of my early mentors. Um, you know, him and Tom Hopkins. Remember Tom Hopkins, the sales guru? Sales guy, yeah. Tom Hopkins, the sales guy. Deepak Chopra. Yeah. Uh, uh, Eckhart Tolle, uh, Sad Guru from the Isha mm -hmm. Foundation. He's my he, he, Sad Guru and Eckhart Tolle are Alan Watts. Uh, these are big names in the transpersonal conversation. Right on, man. Right on. That's cool. You know, I didn't get a chance to share it, but it, just really quick, I wanted to share. Um, when I was in college, I ran across this person that was, uh, you know, the leader of this meditation group, and it was really cool. And it was up in Northern California, in um, Arcadia, California, actually. And um, so I started going to this meditation group, and it was called Satsang. And it was really cool. And like, we'd go there and meditate for like, um, well, different meetings were different things, but like the, the Sunday thing was like two hours, I think at least two hours, but the, the big one was like three hours. And like, so we would meditate for like three hours at a time and we'd have lunch and you know, music and all that stuff. And it was really cool, man. It was um, based on somebody you know if you're familiar with eastern stuff his name was uh master thakar singh and uh that was so i'm a second generation initiative this guy named master thakar singh and so it was inner light and sound meditation and it's funny that you talk about sound because that was a big part of it and you know there's uh a lot of truth to the things that you're talking about i know from a completely different experience out of left field and uh, you know just being able to stop your thought and to recapture control of that process it seems is kind of what you're saying like when you were talking about it the pauses and the between the sounds like I was picturing like an assembly line you know like I love Lucy with the chocolates or something that just that shit just keeps on coming and their thoughts and they don't stop and like unless we can stop it and maintain a proper inventory or discipline of the things you know that are coming along that path we're screwed because it just becomes overwhelming and confusing and we end up tuning things out you know or missing things altogether you know so that's kind of what i was envisioning does that sound about right like your mind is a conveyor belt of never-ending thoughts and things that come along with those thoughts called energy and uh so because you know they're real and they have a manifestation in reality we just have to learn to like be more aware of uh the fact that we're kind of rolling pretty fast right like i mean we should be walking instead we're running is that at all correct did i get that right Absolutely. The idea of if what happens is that you get to the point where you can make a thought disappear mm -hmm. that you're thinking. For example, 
uh, Eckhart Tolle says, if you want to make a thought disappear, take life support off. And so what you notice is that I can't, I'm, I, I'm thinking about what that person did to me and I'll never forgive them. And every day I wake up, I got a picture on the wall of that person and I say bad things about that person all day long. And I joined the club that's against that person. And so I constantly think about the terrible things this person has done, which keeps that thought alive and makes it bigger. Versus take, figure out a way that I can divert my life support and go and go in another direction. Mm-hmm. And and so it will take it will take the food away from that thought and that thought will shrivel up and die. And that's under your control. But you got to practice doing it because most people can't make thoughts disappear. And, and so they are the victim of, of the thought that they're thinking in, in whatever moment. And that and that thought becomes the becomes the painting on the canvas of the narrative of how I'm interpreting this moment right now. And whatever I write, whatever I paint on the canvas in my mind is the way it is for me. And I mm-hmm. will react and behave according to the way I paint it, the reality mm-hmm. in which I live. Now, you painted it differently. So how come your body is healthy and strong and my body has cancer at 37 years old? Well, mm-hmm. I've been painting crap in my pictures, although I'm right, absolutely right what I'm painting, but it's mm-hmm. causing my physical body to die. Mm-hmm. And so you have a choice when you begin to pause and practice the organic growth of that, that, that the seed of, of stillness, uh, you begin to have, you're more relaxed, there's more space, there's more breathing, there's more, there's more time to think about, am I gonna say something that is gonna be mean and make the flowers die in my reality? Or am I gonna say something positive that makes the, makes the, the water bloom in my, in my reality? And that is, you wake up. Every time you pause, you wake up. You become a little more conscious of, mm-hmm. of reality that, that you are in. And uh, I, I, another thing is we live in a dream, dream of thought. We live in a dream. The rea- the, 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 you, think, you think the reality that you live in is real. The reality that you live in is a dream, a dream made up of thoughts. And just like a dream at night, because those 80,000 thoughts yesterday have faded away. The 50,000 thoughts you dreamed about last night faded away. So everything fades away, just like a dream. But as you begin to create the spaces, you begin to realize that the thoughts are just ripples on top of, on top of the ocean of, 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 the infinite, of the infinite. And by pausing, you get in touch with the infinite. Uh, and you, your your ego becomes small and small and small because you're not focusing in on life support for the ego. You're focusing on giving your attention to the being, to the space. And you become mm-hmm. more spacious and like a willow tree. The wind blows through you. You no longer resist the wind so much. You relax with the, with the flow of life. You That's roll right. with it rather than resist it. That's exactly right. That's cool. And you're so right, too. Thoughts are things. I was just thinking about a little book my dad gave to me when I was younger. and It's a book called Thoughts Are Things. And it's a little tiny book. And it's all about how our thoughts really uh, are bigger than we think. And it's important to keep track of that stuff. It's funny how we forget, you know. I guess it's the constant influence of other people who aren't on that path. You know, it's important that we kind of take our, you know, take ourselves out of that 
mess and do our own thing, you know. It's uh, too easy to be distracted from all this in the world. Way too easy. So, um, cool. yeah, man, thank you for this, Alan. This is really cool. Um, meditation is deep, and there's so much more that we could talk about, but definitely, at the very least, you know, I'm hoping that somebody will have heard something here and kind of make them want to try it and uh, see what it's like, because I'm guessing there's still people out there that have never meditated before, right? Yeah, meditation, it's simply five minutes, close your eyes, take take some deep breaths. Breathe, breathe in for a count of four, hold the fullness for a count of two, breathe out for a count of five, hold the emptiness for a count of two. Breathe in for a count of four, hold the fullness for a count of two, breathe out for a count of five, hold the emptiness for a count of two. Do that three times. So that's Lord, meditation, eyes closed. Bitching, and, man. It's and, so and, simple, right? Like, I mean, it's crazy how simple it is. And that will manage, that will begin to, to put your attention in your body, not in your thoughts. And so yeah. your thoughts, you're, you're no longer giving life support to your thoughts, which is disembodied. You're, you're putting your attention on your body by breathing and anchoring your body and settling your body. And you can't be counting and breathing and thinking at the same time. You'll notice that you can't do the both. So you have cut off life support to your thoughts. And you begin to realize that there's another world much vaster than the thoughts that you think in the empty spaces of silence that you consciously just created. Nice. Very cool, man. Very, very, very cool. And actually, when I close my eyes, like I'm doing it while we're talking, um, to me, it always feels better. I mean, I don't know why I don't do it more often. It's kind of a conundrum a weird paradox, but like, I can tell you that like, you know, if you do it right and you really cut your thoughts off for a minute, like it's really very, um, it's almost intoxicating in a way it can really bring a smile about on a shitty day. So like if you're out there and don't know what else to do, if nothing else works, just close your eyes and be quiet. <laughs> Take some breaths. Breathing yes. is important because the Breathing is a very powerful technique to stay present in the moment and not get pulled away by all the thoughts inside your head. Exactly. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Alan. I know we're way over time here. I'll have to do some fancy editing to make that work. Uh, once more with your web address, just so we can make sure people know how to get in touch with you. ACA mindfulyou.com. Right on, man. That's great. And I hope that we get to connect when you come out this way. I would love to be a part of your adventure in Sedona. That would be a lot of fun. Is the 7869 number the best number? Um, I'll have give you another one when we get off the air here. Okay, good. good. Yeah, no worries. And I just right. want to thank you for being a guest today. And I hope we get to talk again soon. Thank you, Todd. appreciate it. I enjoyed sharing some of my experiences along my path. That is great, and I hope we get to do it again because there is a lot more, um, a lot more to explore. So thank you for that very much, Alan. You're welcome. Cool. All right, and I'll edit this out from here on. Um, but we're good, all done. <clears throat> I apologize. I, I'm going to tell you something just off the air, so you'll know. But like, I quit smoking yesterday. So like, normally I'm smoking a cigarette through this whole thing, and like, happy as can be. But I feel pretty good about it. Just so you know, but like I just wanted to share that with you. Um, so you're the first interview I've had non-smoking. 
<laughs> yeah, I couldn't tell any difference. You you sounded fine right from the get-go with a great mic. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, and I hope that uh, it was kind of interesting and, you know, a little bit different. Um, you know, what I do is a little bit different, so I'm trying to figure out how I can dial it in. And it seems like it's all about mental health, man. Like, that's the craziest thing is like every one of my speakers seems to have a really great idea about how to manage mental health in some way or another. And it's really quite fascinating to me. Like I wasn't even looking for that. I guess that's just how it is, right? Like everybody likes to talk about it, but um, like really good advice, man. Like yours too. I mean, you don't require anything. Just close your eyes, man. Like it's so simple. So you know, there's a great value in that, I think. Super. Right on, man. Thank you very much, Todd, for your time. I enjoyed yeah. the opportunity of sharing and connecting. Yeah, me too. And I will look forward to hearing back from you. And inshallah, and, and, and as they say in in the, the Middle East, meaning God willing, we'll see you in September. We'll see you in March sometime in Sedona. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of which, I should say namaste to you, brother. Ah, okay. Namaste. Right on, man. You All have right. a great day now. Thank you. Bye-bye, Todd. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Toddcast Show. If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast Show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also check out ToddCastShow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mira. Be sure to tell your friends and family about the Toddcast Show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode. Hi, I'm Todd Mira, host of the Toddcast Show, and I want to share something personal with you today. Throughout my own life, I've struggled with issues I didn't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone. I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the Toddcast Show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part, it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. 
BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link, betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash Toddcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast to get started today.